0: Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention?
1: I'm David Borax, and this is R&D in the QC. Tarek Bakari and Larkin Eggleston, one Republican and one Democrat who bonded as first-term Charlotte City Council members. Somehow, they both got re-elected, and now we're stuck listening to another season of this amateur hour bullshit. In the first 82 episodes, they talked to a governor, a senator, presidential candidates, and even a journalist or two. Their goal again this season? Bringing Charlotte listeners behind the scenes of the City Council in one of America's fastest-growing cities. I won't be listening, but for some reason, you are. ladies and gentlemen. It's episode 85 of R&D and the QC. We are back after Christmas break. It is the first episode of 2020, and we're here to talk about crime and a three-week recap.
0: Welcome back to the show. Welcome, Ep- welcome, welcome. Episode 85. We hope you have had a marvelous Christmas Mahana kwanzaka.:
1: You mean a hot. Ho- oh, we, we didn't drop the old holiday uh, tree classic. We
0: didn't. From two years ago. Um, so for a little bit of an Easter egg buried back in iTunes or whatever app you use, wherever you get your podcasts, hmm. go back and find the one minute Christmas outtake from last year. We were just feeling each other AKA out still the then. the holiday outtake. Yes. From last. Holiday was that? No, tree. that was two years ago, two maybe. Two years ago. So that was actually gonna be that was in December seventeen or like January eighteen. You'll find that if you go way back into the uh, I'm gonna assume one or
1: two people are gonna do
0: that. I think we know. You could probably just scroll to the very top of the episode list. It's got to be in the first like six or eight.
1: First of all, how was your holiday?
0: My holidays were great. I just took down the holiday tree yesterday. You took the
1: holiday tree down
0: and put the holiday tree out on the curb. Nice. We kept it. Well, it's just a
1: stick, right? It's like a broomstick.
0: We don't have to reenact that episode. We mm. can just let people go back and find it. True. Um, holidays were good. We Now, can we you, talk about something? We both traveled separately.
1: You did something that was very important, and I think people need to need to know and understand. Oh, oh. I actually <laughs> you know forgot. what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, you do know oh, no, what I'm I, talking about. For, I just didn't Ladies know what you were talking about. Ladies and know gentlemen reading. of R&D in the QC, Larkin Eggleston so, as you know, watched I, I get, I'm, for the first a, a time- A new holiday
0: movie. A new holiday movie. <laughs> called Die Hard. Die Hard. <laughs> I actually I had never seen that before. I actually watched uh, half of Die Hard two as well, but then lost interest and quit. Well, I think
1: I actually I actually ribbed you on a previous episode about Nakatomi Plaza, and that so th- yeah, this is so not the I first now time know our listeners. Plaza hear you.
0: means, um, yeah, it's a good movie. You should check it out. All of our listeners, you should watch this holiday movie called Die Hard. I I discovered it over the holiday break.
1: You texted me. And said, You'll be "This surprised. is pretty good, man. Like, yeah,
0: so yeah, it's, man. It's surprising no one's ever mentioned it. Oh man, it's surprising no it's one, so one ever brutal. talks about that holiday. Now, movie. did
1: you know that at the time of its release, um, one bad guy Hans Gruber was actually just a stage actor, and they had to teach him like how to. He was. They said he was holding the gun in like a limp wristed fashion, and he and it was like they had to make him seem like a tough bad guy. And Bruce Willis was actually everyone was laughing because." He had just been a soap opera star to that point, and had never been like an action hero like the Arnold Schwarzeneggers of the day. So
0: it's a shame this this Die Hard movie never caught on because it really is pretty good. I know,
1: man. It's really a it's a cult classic. It's a but niche I am thing.
0: part of the uh, the contingent that believes it is a holiday movie.
1: Uh, totally a holiday. I movie. don't know
0: why people argue about that.
1: There's no arguing. Also, Lethal Weapon holiday movie. Let me see. Have you watched Lethal
0: Weapon before? I can't say that I. Have. Oh my god! <laughs> I've seen bits and pieces. Mm. um get, no that get, get that get. diehard is pretty good you should check it out all right I will so um yeah so over the break we were looking back and it, I didn't realize it had actually been three weeks since we did an episode we had said we'd do one in the interim uh, we apologize for being incorrect about that I was out of town one week you were out of town the opposite week and it just didn't come together but mm. we had not so subtly teased in our last episode which was December 16th wow that we would be potentially hearing a big announcement about MLS the next day on Tuesday, December 17th. And as folks might have heard, we were awarded the 30th and potentially final MLS franchise, Major League Soccer, Uh, and they will be hitting the – actually, the one thing that was kind of news, although it had been sort of speculated and we knew ahead of time, but they will be hitting the pitch in 2021, like March of 2021. We're actually leapfrogging two of the other cities that have been awarded franchises and won't play until the year 22 – we will be playing in March of 2021, uh, so really quick turnaround time, and, and those uh, guys will be on the field in 14 months. Still no team name yet, though I am still lobbying for Charlotte Crown FC.
1: The pitch. Now, is, I thought that was more of a baseball thing. Did
0: you, did you hear it? I'm already picking up on all the terms, man. What did you say? The pitch. I'm saying I'm, I'm using all the right terms. Oh,
1: so they throw the, they throw the, the, the no, football? No, the pitch is what you do with I baseball. I understand. That's I'm just you, kidding, man. See,
0: maybe this is where I know more than you. I don't think so. What do you call the jersey and all of the attire that a team wears?
1: A bicycle kick.
0: Nope. Uh Seriously. Is it called a... Seriously, try to answer this question.
1: What do you call... Is all the gear?
0: Like, all of your team's uniform has one collective name. They refer to it as a team's... Ch-
1: Ch- What's it start with? A K. C- can- can- <laughs> kangaroo pouch. Cartography. <laughs>
0: the, was the kit? With C. <laughs> <laughs> it's the kit it's a team's kit kit yeah that's what i meant right so i'll teach you about soccer football is as i call it oh boy um so yeah. that was good news do you have uh do you have any other exciting news over the holidays mm. I, I took it as as low-key as possible and was very glad i did i was super low-key pretty well super rested
1: um but yeah no we went went to the mountains with family came back Good stuff. Beautiful.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, we have got uh, next week coming up, we're going to have our city council retreat. And so a week from now, we will be in Durham. Uh, Should I same bring the mics? We were, bring yes, the microphones? We're going to be doing an episode from there. Mm. We won't have a council meeting next Monday night, so we don't know for sure if the podcast will come out on Monday, but let's it'll try come to get out some, sometime. Let's try to
1: get some really good guests. There'll be a lot of people come, People coming to speak to us, our, our colleagues, some staff members. Uh, let, let's get some good guests. So
0: there will be a retreat edition episode sometime next week Uh, but tonight we were back in the government center and we had a strategy session meeting Mm -hmm. first monday of every month and usually we'll unpack two three maybe four kind of big ticket topics and really dig into them tonight given uh, the importance of it based on some of the statistics last year and also based on kind of the mayor's charge at the beginning of this new term as this being a top priority for the the coming year Uh, We spent the entirety of the strategy session tonight talking about community safety, which um, the mayor has entrusted me with the chairmanship of the Safe Communities Committee going into this year, and so this is something I will be spending a lot of my time on. Um, But we got some data that has been collected and kind of analyzed over the last couple of months tonight. It was presented to council along with very, very initial um, discussion about potential strategies, things that Charlotte is doing, things that other cities are doing. Um, and then that will really pour into um, the committee and we'll, we'll start to unpack how we measure the effectiveness of these programs, how we measure the effectiveness of these strategies or policies uh, that we're using or that other cities are using and create a framework and a, a plan going forward to address crime in Charlotte. So when you looked at the statistics tonight, what were a couple of things that jumped out at you? Everybody knows about the, the high homicide number last year, though. Um, and you can dig into this if you want, or I will yeah. later, the homicide rate is an entirely different thing than the homicide number, but the numbers were just the raw number itself last year was staggering. Cause it was over a hundred for the first time in years. Um, and that caught a lot of people's attention and has a lot of people rightfully uneasy.
1: Well, I would start by saying I, I wasn't surprised by much of anything that I saw. In fact, I, I, uh, I, I I, this isn't a critique of CMPD. I think they, like like I mentioned in my comments tonight, do a, a, a wonderful job and have evolved their program immensely in the last several years. I think the folks that are working on the data, data analytics stuff that presented to us are also doing a good job. Um, but the, the stuff we saw today, I mean, the most the most interesting stats, again, that we already knew were we knew the homicide rate was insane in 2019, over 100. Or the homicide count. The homicide count, number, yeah. the homicide count but some who may not be paying as close attention would might find it interesting to see that it's a downward curve in the homicide rate. That is the number of people relative to the population. Uh, And that's including, you know, in the nineties crack epidemic times Um, with a high in
0: 1993 of 28.9 being the homicide rate, which is the rate of incidences of homicide per 100,000 people. Last year's rate was 11.6, which is on the, from 1985 to now, actually somewhat low, but it's higher than it's been the last couple of years.
1: Right. So if you look at that, I mean, the city has exponentially grown. And while the numbers seem incredibly high, you know, almost record breaking, the rate shows a downward tick. Um, So that's one thing. I think the other thing is, and, and I don't know if you noticed this, but the data they showed us on those two slides, if you have it in front of you, I think it was like, slide eight and nine maybe something like that the victims where, versus
0: the perpetrators right yeah. um
1: but and but then the one where it said 25 percent of homicides uh resulted from an argument right i think at the bottom does it say the same thing on that slide as it did set so, slide nine which was 2016 to 2018 data
0: yes well um no it's on the victim data is 17 to 19 data. The perpetrator data is 16 to 18, but more or less it's.
1: Yeah. So like, so, so one, a quarter of all of our homicides resulted from an argument. So, and that, that is from a pretty long stretch multi-year, including 2019. That is something we obviously knew that, uh, um, you know, conflict resolution is one of two major themes that drive homicides. Um, the other thing on slide nine was, Um, They said 26 percent of prior felony uh, convictions, those who had felony convictions um, were uh, were those uh, homicide of the 26 percent of the homicides were by someone who had prior convictions for a felony. Forty one percent had felony charges of those. So, again, that doesn't even include 2019 data. And the 2019 data I saw was of the cleared cases, 70 percent of them were repeat violent criminal offenders so well, that
0: was it but it is an important distinction and i'm and i don't know the answer to this is if know, it's charged or convicted charges or i don't know i don't know that. um
1: but but either way
0: i would guess it's charges I'm, I,
1: but I'm, I'm gonna guess it's charges as well because they we know a lot of them were awaiting their trial um and they were let back out um uh, on different things some of them let back out with with uh, electronic monitoring bracelets
0: which again is is a I don't want people to oversimplify the solution there. I mean, we've got a court system that's overburdened. We've got a jail system that's often overburdened. We've I mean, so there's a lot of reasons. And oftentimes, and I've, I had a meeting actually in the last couple of weeks with the district attorney, a, a long one about some of this. And uh, one of the things that oftentimes will lead to a charge not becoming a conviction is just a lack of, of strong evidence. And so they know that when they've got limited court capacity and only and and frankly the district attorney's office is not being properly funded um from from above they know that they've got a a bandwidth limitation they're only going to try the cases that they have good confidence they can be successful in and so oftentimes and we looked he and i looked at a case that they were actually putting through the the ringer that day while he and i were meeting there were six people involved all of whom likely had a connection to the, um, to the drugs. And and I'm not, this was not just a marijuana case, but harder drugs, but really they only felt like they had strong enough evidence that had been brought to them to be successful in trying one of those cases. So only one of those six people in that particular case, they were actually going to pursue. And it might lead to a conviction because frankly, they knew that the other five were too flimsy and would probably be thrown out. And then again, their bandwidth limitation is such that they, they don't have time to waste on cases they don't think they can win. And so if one of those other five people were to commit a violent crime, they would come up statistically as someone who had a prior charge. But
1: this is where the big data analytics and the artificial intelligence approaches that I talked about tonight are so important. Because of those six people, uh, the, there is a huge possibility that AI-based approaches with huge data sources, not just CMPDs, but the county, broader other city departments, the school system, freaking banks, social media, things like that can give them indications of wh- who, who is most likely to commit those violent crimes. So th- so they can, if it's just like a, hey, we don't have the bandwidth, so therefore we're not going to follow through with five of them because the, the cases are light. Well, maybe there's two of them that they should really focus on because of their body of data and their body of of, of, uh, of background.
0: Well, and maybe it's not the district attorney's office that should focus on them. But exactly. if there's a way for them to identify or for us to identify who amongst those five who Could the use evidence was not some there to get a conviction, but maybe attention. we need to have an intervention yes. program that goes in and says – while we're this this charge isn't going to stick, but based on other factors, uh, we think that this person is at risk of becoming a victim or a perpetrator of violent crime. How can we intervene and help put them on a different course? Totally.
1: So so based on what I've heard, the 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 three major stats that I would start all of my analysis and all of my data kind of uh, analytics programs on would be one: we know a quarter of homicides are from. Uh, resulted from an argument. That's conflict resolution. Two, in 2019, if it holds, 70% roughly of the cases that were cleared um, were committed by um, repeat violent uh, criminal offenders, either convictions and or charges. Um, and then three, and this is another one I saw on the slides, if you add up the rough math, um, 53% of those homicides were, were were committed by people 24 years old and younger, um, which basically means for the large majority between the ages of 16 and 24. So well, that that and, really and another, narrows the scope down.
0: Another almost third were 25 to 34. So
1: over we, half of them were under 24 though.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean these over half are when we were a, under a 10 year age range. Uh, uh, overwhelming majority of people, and I'm trying to do the quick math here, over both both victims and perpetrators are overwhelmingly young people millennials and below yep um now one thing i think that that people will want to know is only one in ten homicide victims in this 16 to 18 data was killed by a stranger most often these are Mm. people known to each other as you said a lot of them result from arguments or domestic violence um four out of five eighty percent of victims of homicide are people of color and that includes black hispanic latino um and it's it's a 3 out of 5 are black or African American. 1 out of 5 is Hispanic or Latino. And approximately 1 out of 5 is white.
1: Now flip, flip over to the... So that's the victims. Flip over to the perpetrators.
0: Nearly 85% are black or African American. The perpetrators, 9 out of 10 are male. Um, and we've said most are young. So
1: nearly 9 out of 10 are male. And 8.5 and out of 10 are African American.
0: And again, that's not surprising because we've already stated that so many of these are known persons that if an overwhelming majority of the victims are people of color then an overwhelming majority of the perpetrators are people of color if they're known to each other they're going to tend to be and they talked tonight about how this can be um an infectious was not the word she used but a disease that kind of uh and the the county has declared that this is a a health crisis and it is and so Looking at it through that lens and calling this kind of a disease—that's another
1: thing I don't quite understand. I mean, that's loose at best to me. Uh, The the explanation they gave, because I wrote it down, because I was so skeptical about like what purpose they said it's a public health epidemic because of the exposure to risk and violence that the community has. Okay, well, I mean, all right.
0: I think uh, depending on what does it
1: change calling it that. I mean, it's it's terrible but like what well like because i hear people I politicians the way hanging people, their hats on this i think
0: it's it changes the way that people want to approach finding a solution and so one of the things that we talked about and and back to your tying it to data i think one of the community partners that we've got to engage here is the health system it's it's the hospitals i mean if we've got people who are going in and we know that uh, one in five homicide incidents is domestic violence related a lot of those people are going into their hospitals and they're they're dealing with the the aftermath of, of a, a domestic violence incident that next violence domestic violence incident might be the one where they're killed and so i think if we and again obviously privacy is hugely important when we're trying to identify people who are at risk to either be a victim or a perpetrator of these violent crimes and, and we don't want this to be something that that just steamrolls personal privacy. But if the hospitals, you've got to imagine that the hospitals, that the schools, that some of these people see the, I think it's fair to say the health effects of some of the trauma that might ultimately lead to violent crime or or homicide. Uh, And if there's ways for us to, while protecting people's privacy, identify those, those at risk people, um, and again get them on a different path if they're the perpetrator or get them out of that harmful and and dangerous situation if they're a potential victim i I think it's fair to call it a health crisis and maybe it's just window dressing but i do think that it helps people reframe how they look at identifying solutions and make the solution more of a preventative solution than a reactive solution we we need certainly to have a police department that's that's at full force it is not now and that needs to be a priority but that's a reactive solution a proactive solution i think is what we look towards when we call this a health crisis and say, how do we help head off some of this before it happens through intervention methods and through creating healthier, better environments for people to live in. I mean, one, I, one of the, I think the most staggering statistic was that two square miles of our city. And I said, our well, city hold on, is, yeah,
1: before you move on to that piece, because <coughs> this is what I want to, cause that, that's another great topic. But before that, let me pose a question to you. So let's say that we're going to use data. We're going to go down these paths. We're going to identify folks. Right. And let's say, I I say, all right, the public health epidemic and the wording of that, I could wrap my head around the way you described it there on the proactive front. We're going to go in and we're going to, we're going to cure, we're going to try to find treatments early on before it becomes, you know, cancerous to the, uh, to the individual. Right. All right. I'm there, but here's the other problem. You can be proactive there, and that is one part, one critical ingredient, long term. But short term, with the with the homicide numbers over a hundred, we're going to have to also be reactive, and we're going to have to use this data to be the you know the minority report, report pre crimes unit and go out there and do that stuff. I know you have no idea what I'm talking about when I say that,
0: right? Well, you've made the reference on like eight different episodes of this podcast. Got so it. Some got sense. it. Okay,
1: so. I guess my question to you is if we're using big data and artificial intelligence and analytics to go in and identify and we right now have over 8 out of 10 people that are African American that are the victims and 9 out of 10 that are the perpetrators you know is where where is the where is the appetite going to be to go and be, do the the near term preventative stuff given the fact that more than likely it's going to be, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it's going to be blanking someone. Uh, it's going to be uh, when you stare like not stereotype, but you know, it like that, like it's going to be, targeting it's profiling it's going to be profiling a group of people and then that adds to your second point the stat you were about to say
0: which is which is i don't think that it's necessarily identifying people as as it is identifying areas and again i think we want to be
1: well it's both though you have to identify the yes. area point which is what you're about to say go ahead 438 well, miles but i think we're with it's the police not, cover in town yeah so the miles
0: the to your first point it's not about identifying people because they are of a certain minority class. It's not identified. Not people. because
1: that's what they right. are, but because the data. it no, is literally the, it's, the analytics no, and it, big data version of stop and frisk. That's exactly what th- that is what this is. But when
0: you look at what other cities are doing, which is what we're going to get into in the committee, it's the, the markers for being at risk for being a victim or a perpetrator are not specifically that someone is a person of color. Or someone is a male. It's that they have experienced, trauma that they you know they've been the victim of trauma maybe in their childhood that they can't read by third grade that they I mean it's all these other things and, it, and they might also correlate to certain demographic markers but it's really more about like a lived experience that you check a certain number of boxes and the mayor talked a little bit about it tonight in the meeting you check a certain number of boxes of things that you have lived through or things that are more social markers not demographic markers and it might so happen to correlate that all those are men but it doesn't mean you're targeting someone because they're but,
1: but hold on. But let, so but let me get. I, I I totally agree with that. But let me give you a realistic scenario of how that could play out. And I deal with this in banking and other things. And I'm just I'm just kind of, you know, applying it to how it could work here. Use that same example. We have all this data of not just what you've done in the court system and CMPD, but maybe also in school and also the life events you were talking about and health stuff that we have. Right. Let's say that's all in this AI data warehouse. And let's say those same six people you were just talking about with the D.A., one of them, they're going to say he's the one that pulled the trigger. We're going to go after him. We have to let the other five go. Well, instead of letting the other five go, this coalition, this database says these three have matches that if they are let back on the street, there's a really high probability that they are going to commit a crime. And based on what we know with this with this with the data, there's a high likelihood that the two they're going to let go are are not African American and the three that they're going to prosecute are just because that is what the data is showing us today. So how would we respond from a policy perspective to that? Given the fact that if we went down this path, AI and and this use in other industries has incredible impacts. Like we would see a huge decrease in this stuff, but it's also bordering on profiling and the things that people don't like about stop and
0: frisk. Well, but stop and frisk is, is more of a, you're trying to catch someone doing something bad. And this inter- is prevent them. Well, the inter- the interventions that we're talking about here, I think, are more... Well, but I'm not talking punitive. about not the
1: punitive. interventions. I'm talking about the response. Who do you prosecute versus who you, the things that are in the near term? Of course, we want the long-term preventative, put somebody on a different path. But it's sometimes we have to
0: Again, make these, those we're decisions. Using, we're using examples that we, that we can't give a lot of details on, but... I, on using that example.
1: Well, make a fake example.
0: Well, you're not in that example. You're not attempting to prosecute more people than you would otherwise, because as they said, the reason they're not prosecuting it and the reason it's not going to become a conviction is because they don't have a strong enough case to do so. But if in that circumstance, you say these two people, we don't have, we don't have the case. We don't have a strong enough case to pursue these charges, but we really think they're at risk based on these other markers of, of their, environment then we create programs that intervene through things like mentorship for example so then if you've got somebody and and now i think we'll transition into talking about some of the geographic identifiers but let's say and we use the one in my district because i know it a little better one of the four places we're going to talk about that is um, a priority area is sugar creek and i-85 and i don't think Mm -hmm. that'll surprise anybody so you say that we find people in the community there. And again, there's going to be a multitude of potential programs that we're going to look at. But one is you identify people who preferably live in that area, have the social capital in that area, and have the trust of people in that area in a way that you or I or a police officer or someone else couldn't. And maybe that person is even someone who's been to prison, someone who's been down that path, but has gotten back on the right path. And you get those people who've got the social capital, who have the trust, to go in and intervene and you say, Mike and Joe and Sue over here that live in the Sugar Creek I-85 area. We're really worried about them. We think they're headed on the wrong path. And you have somebody who's in that community who's been trained, proper, like formally trained in these intervention techniques to step in and try to offer them someone who will support them and someone who will look out for them. And, and frankly, to some degree, someone who will keep an eye on them, not in, a, nefar- not in like a, a, a way that causes them to lose trust, but tries to help them get off that path. I'm
1: with you. I'm hundred percent with you. So wait, it's I, I'm not, not punitive. Uh, listen, I, I, but what I'm trying to, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to go down a more controversial path that I believe we will hit. I am a hundred percent with you on the preventative side of this, the community side of this, the find a new path and facilitate the things to make that person take that path. Love that. But what I'm saying is that that's a, that's a long-term garden of seeds you plant. Right. You have to do things in the immediate term and the immediate term. Another made up example might be. Um, so you said and just to recap, that, that was one of, I think, four or five areas in town that they said CMPD um, polices a four hundred and thirty eight mile square mile radius um, and under two square miles of Charlotte. Um, that's under one percent of those 438 it's under, miles. It's, it's about a quarter of a percent, yeah, I think, contains eight percent of the violent crime. Right, so there's so there's places and there's people physically there. So you go to those places, you find those people, and you do that proactive stuff, and you change their life. Great. But what I'm saying is, in the near term, there's a chance where there might be a watch list of 40 people that the AI data analytics warehouse sh- shoots out. These are folks that are highly probable of committing homicide within the next 30 days. Right. So do you like and one do you go after and, and almost like stake out, like track those folks, like a detective versus someone who's responding to a crime. And if so, there's a good chance that it will be stop and frisk esque in the nature of it it, it, based on the demographics of what we've already seen and and where it is. And how, how do we play that out from a policy perspective? I'm just asking the questions. I don't know that I have an answer.
0: Well, I think, and because I know someone will correct me, I, I, Redid the math in my head and it's just under a half a percent. Someone's <laughs> going to tweet and go it's not a quarter percent, it's it's just under a half a percent. Good job. Um, so, I'll take care of the math, you yeah. don't worry about that. because That's that's <laughs> your best at. Um, and geography too is your other strong suit. That is my thing. So the, the four focus areas here, are Beatty's 4 LaSalle Road, anyone who, who lives in these parts of town is not going to be surprised by this, Sugar Creek and I-85, Central and Sharon Amity and Nations Fort and Arrowwood. And that's again, and I was glad that um, whoever said this said it we're not, we're not identifying neighborhoods as problem neighborhoods. These are literally very, very small areas. And in fact, the Sugar Creek I-85 is really concentrated around a grouping of, um, mostly cash only, uh, low rate, uh, low rent hotels and motels. And so, and again, that's the one I know the best because part of it's in my district. So I, I don't think that, again, I don't think this is punitive. I don't think this is targeting. I think we can identify those areas and the police department already has to some extent and say, we're going to ramp up patrols in that area. We're going to have a, more, a higher presence, how to have more visibility. Um, frankly, I think that in that particular area, sugar Creek in 85, we've got to have different policies. Some of which will involve having to partner with the state that say, if you're running a business that is caught, that is the location for this much crime and you're not doing your business Part to try to help curb some of that then we're going to treat the hotel owner as hostile not the people who are in the hotel or not the people who are maybe you know selling I mean not to say that we're going to ignore the the crime that's taking place but if you are facilitating that crime by turning a blind eye as a business owner we've got to do work with that business owner too and at some point if they're not willing to work with us to be part of the solution we have to treat them as part of the problem Um, some of our ability to do that has been taken away by the state in, in years past but
1: but I mean, I'm asking you very specifically, are are we, you, I, whoever willing to digitally profile people for the reactive pieces of this, or is that off limits and taboo? The reactive
0: or the proactive?
1: The, the, well, the proactive, I think, well, yeah, both, <laughs> but the, the, it's a more palatable on the proactive because you're trying to find them and give them programs and resources, but reactive is totally different. Digital profile and a reactive nature. A digital stop and frisk.
0: Again, I don't think that there's anything that we'll propose that will have people, that will have us trying to identify, but should criminals it? before they they commit crimes?
1: Not before they commit crimes. Before they escalate to a certain point, um, of you know, I don't, and I don't even know what that means. Frisk. I mean, I think, I'm hypothetically. I think if
0: you're if you've committed crimes and then we, based on those crimes. And other markers, we've identified you as as a high risk individual. But what
1: if we identify you as a high risk individual and we go and essentially do the same thing that physical stop and frisk did, which we find a gun on you,
0: an illegal gun? I don't. Again, that's not a policy that I, as the chair of that committee, will be recommending. That we go and we try to we try to catch people doing worse stuff than than they've already been caught doing. I think it's a matter maybe not
1: catch them. To, yeah, that maybe that's it. Maybe it's we start we start you know, doing less police re- reactive work and more detective ahead of time work on following someone who's about to commit a crime. I I'm only posing this because I think it's controversial. Keep, yes. Right? But I
0: think you can keep an eye on people who have committed crimes before and who you view as high risk. You can also be trying to help those people, but in the, in trying to help those people, you are also more closely monitoring them and probably lessening the chance that they commit that crime depending on their level of willingness to try to get that help or, or find that different path. So I'm not, I'm not going yeah. I mean, different people can vote for different things. I'm not going to support something that is akin to stop and frisk where you are just kind of blanket profiling based on demographic markers and is what happened a lot in New York and then trying to catch people doing something wrong when they've not given you any other reason to suspect them of being a criminal.
1: Even Nothing. if, the the metrics, particularly the homicide metrics, crash down almost in a global, like you know, all striking way.
0: I, I think, again, we're talking in very broad yeah, strokes it, it, here on something that this that what you be do on podcasts. <laughs> but I'm, I I think there has to be a line in the sand where you say we're not going to trample on people's people's rights. And so while I do think that it's one thing to to try to head some of this off, I think that it needs to be us trying to divert people from that path, not not play gotcha. I, 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 and- I totally
1: agree. All, all putting all that aside, I'll tell you an example. I actually do know that you might find interesting as well, the listeners. Um, in in fintech and in banking, when we use artificial intelligence and big data, like the things that people are doing with this are just mind-boggling, man. Like here's one example, and this is a small, tiny one. Not even big data just big data within people's you know transactions and their direct deposit accounts and their debit cards and things like that we can go identify right um, who influencers are by just timing and using AI looking at their transactions by seeing okay well you look at the network effect and you can see this person bought this type of thing and where then late at later times and over time you can see the this point zero five percent of individuals influence 20 percent of of their of their universe and that's where then they go ahead of the curve because they're buying and then they see a repeated trickle effect of others doing the same thing so that's one that's amazing tool but two where, where it gets a little tricky is a lot of those people say hey mr bank hey mr credit card company hey whatever that's my data and you you i I should be monetizing that you, you, you not you, selling it and selling essentially what I'm doing and who I am that what makes me the unique snowflake of a of an individual. Not in that we call it a unique snowflake as it really my digital footprint of who I am and what I do. Um, so there's this interesting kind of, you know, ethics and privacy pers- uh, uh, issue that exists in there, but also the power of it. And that is that is probably one of the most simplistic things I could say. So. The power is there. You would be shocked if we did this right with the right partners to, to show what this data could tell us. And then a real, well, so a real then privacy you, question and ethical question comes into play, which is how much do you act on it if you could bring down these rates to near zeroes?
0: So then, so then can you use the same data and say how do we determine in these four priority areas who the influential people are in those communities who – maybe the somewhat older, but not too much older, like let's say the 30s and 40-year-old yes. males are that are most influential in these communities, and how do we get them on board with saying, be a leader in helping us change the direction of your community?
1: Absolutely, 100%. And the data sources will be different, but the premise still exists. If you find the right data sources, and you ask the right questions, and you and you direct them, it, you can absolutely do Cause that. Because there
0: are people in all four of these places and in everywhere in Charlotte that that are the de facto community leaders. They don't have a title. Yeah. They don't have a whatever, but they're oh, the yeah. people that are respected, have the street cred to be able to go to a young person and say, Hey man, you, you can't be doing that. Here's, here's a different. Option. Well, there, and, and, and that there's a lot of people
1: who say they are that. And then there's a lot of people that also are that. Right. So that's where I think some of these database approaches can really help with that.
0: So again, I don't want, there is a punitive nature to the reaction. Once you commit a crime, I don't want our proactive approaches to be punitive. I want them to be hundred wa- percent. Yes. So so hundred percent agree. But that, that to me is kind of the. If you were to test. put
1: so, but if you were to put because time, time, our time and what we focus on is everything. I've said that many times in the last two years. If you were to put, you know, split up ten points, 10, 10, one to ten on the two points and how where you're going to spend your time, the proactive or the reactive. How would you split that up? Because The proactive ain't changing uh homicide and violent crime rates in the near term it's just not it's critically important
0: but where would you put a cop-out but i'd say 50 50 and i i think that i'd almost say
1: i'd almost say 25 75
0: in which direction
1: Seventy-five being the reactive, get the rates under control because that stuff is that garden we're planning for for three, four, five years from now.
0: But I I feel like you had a different mindset when we're talking about affordable housing, and it's more. I feel like you had a longer view, and you said, "Look, we we can't we can't try to get a win in the short term at the expense of a long term solution." And so I, I would argue the same here, and I think that one of my priorities.
1: Yeah, but these are affordable housing. Like, what? And I agree, but no one's building affordable housing inside a month or two. I mean, we're talking about a two-three year cycle from the minute that shovel gets put in the ground. Well,
0: and I'm looking at that as a short-term crime. And solution. these people I'm are saying a short-term like, crime solution is a year, or two, or three. It's not a long-term solution. Is a is a decade I, I or a th- I think it's
1: different because th- th- I mean, these are these are lives. These are like people's lives. Yeah, but I don't lost. think you can
0: flip switches and change change you sure you can't as hell, switch today and change an outcome it's 30 days from now you know.
1: absolutely can you could have we if if you had fixed the thing that had made darnell harris uh get killed by a repeat violent criminal offender and that guy wasn't allowed back on the street that he had just been released three months ago because he knew what he was gonna. we knew what he was going to do that is absolutely something that can be But
0: those changes prevented. are changes that are systemic changes. You, you, you're not going to suddenly staff the courts better. You're not going to suddenly – you can't, you can't have all of a sudden the DA be fully many of funded. The thi- and-
1: many of those things are that, I'll, I'll admit. But the chief of police can stand up in a press conference that both you and I were at and say, I'm no longer taking people awaiting trial for homicides into the electronic bracelet monitoring program. Done. Now they're not going to throw them out in the streets without that. Those people are not going to be on the streets anymore. That is an immediate action from a press conference.
0: Right. And and I think it will have some statistical significance, but I, I don't know how significant and and over time we'll know. But my point is, is more that I think we, we have to, and a priority for me will be fully staffing our police department. in in a reasonable period of time, we, that probably realistically would have to be at least two years, maybe three before we could really fully staff, but that we should be getting closer to that over the next year and two years. And, and it's not just for violent crime. It's really for everything. I have someone who today who um, their work van was broken into and it was three hours before someone got to them. I mean, obviously that's I, think not I saw
1: a, a post on social media yeah. about that.
0: And so he and I talked, It's that's obviously not a high priority call. Like a violent crime call would be, uh, there was no, immediate threat or danger but it's still it's frustrating to people that
1: he had to wait that long though, that he had to for wait that him?
0: long for someone to come and take the that's report surprising um yeah I, I was surprised too but it's part of it is a byproduct of of being understaffed the reason you know we get emails all the time from people who say how come speeding and red light running is not enforced more strictly well frankly it's because we we're short-staffed and that's not as high a priority as some of the other things that our police officers have to respond to so are not necessarily going to take that fifteen minutes to. I stop got a solution right for ticket.
1: that. Here's the hardcore solution: we pop up spike strips for every time the light turns red immediately.
0: Well, then we're going to have Problem's to have up. a whole lot more tow truck companies, <laughs> um, or AAA, uh, it's private sector folks. So, I mean, I think that you know that I'm not saying we we focus on soft touch proactive solutions at the exclusion of law enforcement. Law enforcement's got to be part of it. A fully staffed department's got to be part of it. Um, but I do think that these and, um, Rebecca who made a lot of the presentation tonight from staff said this. she said, intergenerational violence is not something you can fix overnight. And it's not, and same as affordable housing, same as, you know, long range regional transit planning, all of these things, we have to do things that help address the acute issue that we have today, but we also have to say a big part of what we do has to be Creating a long-term solution, and so that's going to take up resources that that will not go towards fixing the problem today because we want to have a systemic change that actually bears fruit I, way I, out in the future and I for a long time. Fully
1: agree. All I'm saying is that I think that we should skew. I mean, we, we just left a year of over a hundred homicides, and we should skew some of the near-term energy and focus more towards the reactive, get our hands around the problem because lives are being lost uh, than the other. I'm not saying ignore the other, but I'm saying do that. And I, I just believe that at some point, if we do this right, which who even knows if we will or not, but if we do it right and we have some capabilities and start doing some new things, um, I just question if we're going to have the stomach to, to do some tough things or everyone's going to kind of be like, well, no, I'm not comfortable with that. And we shouldn't do that. And and in essence, we lose an opportunity to save a Darnell Harris.
0: The other thing is I think that we can't we can't control what the public does. But I think we, in the positions that we're in, it doesn't surprise me. And, and certainly if I were on the other side of this, not as an elected official, the 108 number jumps out, particularly because in 2018 we had a a bit of an anomaly of a low year with 56 homicides. But if you go back again to this homicide rate, which is the rate of homicide incidences per 100,000 people, 2019, we were at 11.6 homicides per 100,000 residents. And given the astronomical growth curve that we're on right now as a city, I mean, some of the other points that they show here in 2005, it was 12.6. In 1993, we talked about it was almost 30, and that that was the highest it's ever been. Um, in 1985, it was 16.7. So, I mean, over time we are still really kind of at even below average. If you take the last, what is that? 35 years, if you take the last 35 years, we're really still below what the average has been over that 35 year period. And so that's not to discount. I mean, that's 108 people who lost their lives, 108 families who, whose lives will never be the same because of someone that was taken from them in a violent death. And there's, absolutely i would never minimize that but again I, I don't want people to think that we are on some huge curve of becoming a a less safe city we had a had a bad year last year we need to improve we will improve um it's going to be i think the top priority of this council probably for the I next so. year if not the whole term I, I think
1: it's it's less about the number i mean the number is bad absolutely to for me personally it's more about when i think about those numbers and i think about a quarter or more are, are related to conflict resolution and almost three quarters are related to repeat violent criminal offenders who have been let back on the streets. It's almost like that feels preventable. You know what I mean? It feels, it just, it doesn't feel like, you know,
0: clarify that statistic. You're referencing a a 2019 number that we're spitballing because it's not in front of us. And that's probably on felony charges. And it doesn't even necessarily mean that there were violent felony charges. So it's not mm. quite as clear cut. I mean,
1: all right, you're right. I, I, because I, I, I saw this stat back and you, you're, I know you saw the same stat that I did. It was, it was of the hundred and X number at the time it was cleared cases, 70% of them were repeated by or were committed by repeat,
0: probably people with prior felony charges. Felony
1: charges. Okay. Fair enough.
0: Which is not to say that that's statistically insignificant, but it's it's not it's not someone who was convicted of a felony c- violent crime who's then put back out on the streets necessarily. Some of them might have been.
1: So I just um, I, I think my takeaway here is we have an opportunity to. And what I asked for tonight was, can we create a, a smart city, uh, you know, crime data consortium? Uh, we have in cybersecurity out there, cybersecurity consortiums between, you know, the public sector, Homeland security, and then the private sector, Microsoft, all the banks, different folks, and they bring their best resources together with access to their data. And it becomes, you know, highly restricted and they go in there and they combine it and they find trends and they share information. Like, why don't we do that in town with all of those groups that kind of, we work with the courts, medic, CMPD, CMS, um, public data uh like uh like we have with um um you know from social media to the banks in town i mean we could literally do something very different and unique that could that could lower that those rates substantially the question is um the question is once we get to that point if we're lucky enough to you know what will our appetite be to act on it and i don't know
0: one other thing that um I think is, is interesting. The statistical area characteristics of these, um, priority areas that we've identified, there is, there's a a lot of things from employment, poverty, housing code violations, education level, all that that correlates. And I don't think any of this would surprise anybody, but one of the things that stuck out as a statistical correlation was a high concentration of single family rental houses. And so one of the things that cuts across several types of um, housing in different ways that you might define housing is we don't have a good way. And one of the things that was taken away by the state was our ability to mandate a lot of these problem hotels to keep a, um, a log of people who are staying there. And so that if you have a problem, you can go back and reference the log and know who was there and know what room they're in, whatever it, it creates a little bit of a paper trail that can be, um, useful on the back end, on the reactive end of a crime being committed. Um, another thing that just came up, people might've seen, I think the observer ran an article on it last week is that CMPD has asked Airbnb operators um, to register with the city. And so a lot of it with the single family rental houses, sometimes with apartment complexes, oftentimes with these um, problem hotels, and now sometimes with Airbnbs, is that there's not a good enough way. There's not a good enough database Um, or directory essentially for us to us collectively police law enforcement um, the government to know or to quickly get in contact with whoever the property owner is who Mm -hmm. might or might not know that there's that their rental house has been turned into a drug house or the maybe out-of-state management or ownership group that owns this problem hotel who is doing a cash, cash transaction not keeping track of who's staying in that room and might be turning a blind eye to the drug trade that's going on in there or the Airbnb operator who doesn't live on site or nearby and whose houses are being rented out and there's huge parties going on and violence occurs there. So, which actually has happened fairly recently in Charlotte, I think an Airbnb that one of was one of the violent uh, crime incidents recently. So again, we, we've got to have a better way to enforce people who are absentee landlords in any of those capacities and make sure that they are trying to be part of the solution. And if not uh, a way to enforce um, Dude, against them as well.
1: Let me tell you. So we've said on one, one side of the coin. I've said on one side of the coin in this episode um, that I, you know, I hope we have the stomach to do some tough, uncomfortable things in the future. I'll say on the other side of the coin, um, you know, I am a, uh, a, a, proponent and lover of the free market. And I love, and a supporter of, of, uh, guns rights and having and owning guns. Um, but, um, I, I mean a gut reaction and I haven't studied this enough that maybe I could see something that might change my mind eventually. But if you own a gun and you don't properly secure that thing and someone steals it out of your glove box and commits a murder, you, you are culpable. If you rent a house or Airbnb it out or, you know, do something where it's a cracked end and you literally are turning a blind eye, you are culpable in some way. And I, and I, I mean the, the easiest way, the most, the most impactful way in my mind to prevent these, these ultimate end outcomes from happening is you say, Hey, you're, you're in as much, you're going to be in as almost as much trouble as that person that did it. If you don't, don't take the, it's, it's a, it's a right and a responsibility. And you know maybe that at the end of the day, if you're a parent and you go on vague, out, out of town and your 16 year old kid throws a party, a rager and someone dies, you're, you're, you're culpable for that.
0: Uh, right when I first got elected in 2017, I actually had talked a little bit with Sheriff Carmichael about trying to create some sort of a, a public service awareness, whatever you want to call it, um, sort of campaign around working with local firearms dealers. Um, gun shops and incentivizing people um, through you know discounts or or whatever sort of rewards there might be around making sure that gun owners have gun safes and um, he obviously was was ousted from office only a a handful of months after we got elected but um, I think that's something we can certainly revisit with uh, with Sheriff McFadden Um, I think we've got a lot of a lot of gun shops here in town that I imagine would be open to, to partnering on that. And yeah, I mean, it's people, people, probably, if you go to neighborhood meetings on a regular basis, you probably get tired of hearing the police officers repeatedly saying, don't leave stuff in your cars. Don't leave stuff in your cars. Yep. But the reason they keep saying it and keep bugging the hell out of you about it is because it is absurd. The amount of car break-ins that are because people look in the car and they see a laptop or they see a gun or they see whatever, they see something that's worth breaking into your car for. There's not a whole lot of people breaking into your car, unless they see something and just hoping to find something. So, and then the amount of guns stolen out of cars is is obscene. And then those and then crimes are being committed with those guns. So, yeah, I mean, I do think that at some point, if you're leaving a, a firearm, particularly a loaded one, unlocked in your car, um, there has to, there has to be a penalty. But, but,
1: but so, let me ask this question because it's it's clear we're on the same page there that and it it just makes sense. You go where the the person, the party has the control to actually do something to make it not happen to, to begin with. But this goes back to earlier my comments of like, will we have the stomach to do the tough things? That doesn't seem so tough. I mean, it's, it's kind of tough for me to wrap my mind around it because I don't like the thoughts of of doing things that, you know, prohibit our Second Amendment right. But
0: I would argue that doesn't prohibit anybody's Second Amendment right. It doesn't in any way. I can way, make that argument too. It doesn't in any way yeah, infringe yeah. on someone's ability yeah. to own a firearm. Totally, it just totally, says, totally, If you're going to do it, you have to do it responsibly. Exactly.
1: But let me let me ask let me flip the question to an exact same thing, but another topic, which is, would you be supportive of something I brought up almost two years ago, which is try to make it an offense if you give money to a panhandler in town?
0: I think that's an entirely different That is almost the
1: exact same thing, man. It, it's just, it's just, it's just, I'm saying you are, you, What by what you are doing, it's different drivers and motivations by what you're doing. You are the part outcome of, the, of problem. the
0: outcome of the first is something that could be severely damaging to another person who had nothing to do with it. The outcome of the second, while I agree, it's not the right way to help solve that problem. I
1: mean, it's It is indisputed amongst the people in town who do this for a living.
0: Yeah, but the level of—I mean—the order of magnitude Undisputed? of those two
1: things—undisputed.
0: The, the level of magnitude between those two issues is is so different that it's
1: uh, but I mean, it's not really go to LA,
0: <laughs> and, and and see like but again, what it can become. While someone handing five dollars to a person on the side of the road is not the right way to help that person, it doesn't create. All right, so forget about it doesn't comparing them. Secondary. Forget about comparing of someone them. dying. Fine, in fine. A agreed,
1: crime. agreed. So forget about comparing them in its own merits. Is that something that? we could be supportive of as a council. While we also find the proactive I, ways of saying, give your money here. Here's an app that you can give and say at the men's shelter, I've given $5. Being, dollars some for of that
0: work's already being done by the people who serve that, that population It
1: infuriates me when I see people physically hand but, money, but again, you panhandling in an under in,
0: sir, in an understaffed police department who's trying to address the big problems of violent crime, enforcing an ordinance about panhandling is probably not the best use for resources. So no, that's not something I would support. Well, and it's also completely unrelated to what we're talking. Well, it's, about. but it,
1: it's it's related in the fact that it takes a stu- uh, it takes a a, a will and a, and a and a and resolve to go and do something that you know is going to make the problem so better. Do, but you know it's going to be problematic if we're to do get tough there.
0: Tough stuff and do things that are that require a a strong stomach. Let's at least make sure that they're the higher priorities.
1: I'm just finding examples for us to debate on the <laughs> keep, podcast. Keep
0: finding them because that, <laughs> that ain't a good one. I think it's a good
1: one. I really do believe that that would be a good thing to do.
0: We'll let the listeners weigh in if they think that mm. was a relevant uh, comparison. Um, so this is going to be, I mean, this is literally the beginning, uh, or at least the beginning in the public forum for this work. But, um, it's 2020 now, man. We will be We will be diving much deeper in. When we start our committee meetings, um, the first of which I think will be in about two weeks for community safety or safe communities as it's now called. Um I'm never
1: gonna get used to the new yeah, names. Yeah, no. uh, I
0: I think everyone's still gonna refer to all I can't the even
1: remember opinions. the name of the committee I'm vice chair of that met today.
0: Yeah, the old economic development committee, which is it's
1: like WMDs or something. <laughs> I think that's it's something like entirely force and
0: that's something George Bush was uh
1: economic Development.
0: Um Business so,
1: WBDs. It's WBDs
0: weapons of business destruction yes um so yeah so sunday night we will be headed to the bull city and we will be there through wednesday we will do some interviews while we're there uh might release an episode while we're there or might release it when we get back um but no council meeting next week and uh yeah should be good cool be three long days or two and a half long
1: days no we just knocked out a pretty long episode here i thought we were going to be in and out in about five minutes we got into it
0: indeed well uh welcome back to everybody happy 2020 we're glad to have you back sorry about the long break
1: hey if hey, call to action uh we are in the process right now of of enhancing you know we, we've enhanced the uh the intro thank you david borax uh we've um and now we're sitting we've got a couple live shows uh, in the works um but If you have ideas, the loyal listeners, especially those who've been around for 40, 50, 60, 70, maybe 85 episodes now uh, that you would like to see us do more of or less of uh, or whatever, let us know. We'd like it. While you're doing it, uh, definitely, uh, if you haven't already, like, subscribe, subscribe, share,
0: share, rate. rate. Uh, for don't the comment of, for the sake of Tark's <laughs> don't ego. Don't comment, maybe please. Say something nice about Tark. Yeah, if in the somebody iTunes could comments. say
1: something nice about me in the <laughs> iTunes comment, I know my folks are—they're—they're a, they're a quieter group of fans. Larkin's people are very—they're out there, you know—they're out you there. You don't have
0: to put one of us down to say something nice about the yeah, other. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs>
1: you guys are ruthless. You guys are ruthless. But I get it. You know what?
0: But we appreciate you. Got to break Glad a few listen. eggs to
1: change the world.
0: Something like that. <laughs> All right, that was eighty-five. We'll see you next week.
1: Peace.